The, uh, the, one of the texts uh, this morning is the uh, Philippians letter, and Paul had a very close connection with the Philippian church. Of all the, the different churches that Paul uh, was connected to, the Philippians would be at the top of the list. Uh, they were one of the few churches that um, supported Paul uh, basically all throughout his ministry. Sometimes, uh, even against Paul's desires, they supported him financially. Uh, definitely did in a continued state, uh, continual state of prayer. Uh, multiple times they, they cared for him. And, and to some degree, the letter uh, that we have as the Philippians, that epistle, is a thank you note. At least on some part, a thank you note from Paul back to, to the congregation. I mean, they, they sent people to Paul. Uh, we know of one for sure, Epaphroditus. Uh, and, and Paul wrote this letter late in his life, um, just before his, his martyrdom. And when you read the book of Philippians, uh, there are a couple of things that stand out as major themes. But one of the themes is it has this parent-child type of feel to it. Maybe where there's an aged uh, sage who's seeking to pass on some life information uh, to the next generation so that they would learn uh, and not reinvent some of the same struggles or the same issues of, say, that age sage. I mean, verse 9 is an example of this. Whatever you've learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. I, mean, I think every parent or grandparent, in some form or fashion, even if you don't use those words, that is a desire that you have either for your children or your grandchildren that you hope to some degree they've learned from your life, the things that you've done, what they've witnessed, what they've seen, and hopes that in, in, in some form or fashion that becomes a part of their life. Very parental uh, in its advice. So that begs the question then, so... What did they learn or see from Paul? Well, we have insight into that, at least from the text, because the answer is that Paul learned contentment in all circumstances. Now, think about that for a moment. Um, contentment, in, in the Greek, uh, it, it's formed from two root words, the word to think and the word that we have that's either translated good or well. And so the idea that Paul learned that regardless of his circumstances, he learned to think well. I mean, how many people do you know could say the same? That regardless of your circumstances, what's going on outside of your life, that uh, we'll be at a state of contentment. Our thoughts to think well. I mean, that sounds like it's impossible. I mean, after all, don't we believe that it's our circumstances that determines the levels of our commitment, I mean, our contentment? I mean, fill in the blank or complete this sentence, I will be happy if. If what? Some of you might have been praying, what was it, $2 billion this week, the lottery? You know, I will be happy if I won. You know. Or maybe I will be happy if my a family member, maybe my wife, my, you know, my husband, my children, whatever it may be, if they just would do this or do that. Or I would be happy if my handicap 
dropped by five strokes. I can speak for one person in this sanctuary that, yeah, maybe I could live with that. Or what about I will be happy if my team won the national championship? Now, as soon as I was writing, I mean, when I was writing this, this sermon, I thought, boy, that would be great for Auburn. And then immediately I heard the voice that said, do not put the Lord your God to the foolish test. <laughs> the good news is I can say the same thing about Alabama. You know, so feel real good today. I would be happy if I got this job or that job. I mean, there's all these ifs. I will be happy if. 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 I mean, I think there is a great level inside of our society that does believe that our circumstances determine our levels of contentment. So much so that they even dictate our behavior. They determine our priorities. They can, at least. Often they dictate what takes place inside of our relationships, our goals, even our direction in life. And yet, what Paul learned and what he asked the Philippians to follow, what Paul learned was that outside circumstances they don't determine an inward state of being. And so just sit with that for a moment. Because if you don't get anything else out of the sermon, I hope that at least begins something inside of you. That where our levels of contentment don't have to be determined to what goes on outside of us that there really can be a different type of life, a soul that really is at rest, at peace, balance. The outside circumstances don't have to determine if you think well, to use the literal translation, contentment. Now, naturally, there's part of me that when I read the Philippians passage, I want to ask another question, which is, all right, Paul, how, how, you know, it sounds good, I get that, but you know, give me some insight, give me some commentary. And thankfully, he does. In the passage, he talked about it being a secret, the secret of learning to be content. Because for him, his contentment was anchored and his faith in Christ. Now there's another passage that we use this morning, this Colossians passage, where he, talk, he, get, he, he used a different analogy to explain this concept, and it's the idea of taking off, like say, taking off clothes and putting on clothes. It says, take off this old way that's tied to external circumstances determining your levels of contentment. contentment. Put on this new self. Be renewed or, or, or put on the new self while you are being renewed and the knowledge of the Creator. Where it's not tied to something external, but it's tied from, from Christ's work inside of you. Now, I have to tell you, in full disclosure, um, it took me forever to learn this. And to some degree, I'm still learning it. Because there was every ounce of my being 
believed and thought that contentment was tied to things on the outside. And for a large portion of our life, and, and, and even to some extent today, it's what I chased. Even as a pastor, I mean, I, you know, I, I thought, I really believe this, I thought the moment I, you know, I'm ordained, that somehow all the heavens were going to part, and God would sort of download all this stuff inside of my brain and inside of my heart, and I'm, it's all going to get fixed. I didn't get that one, did you? I need to go back and tell the bishop he didn't do it right. But even as a pastor, to some degree, you know, performance, if I was the best preacher, the best teacher, the best pastor, then somehow the floodgates would open and all these things on the outside, this contentment would flow. And what I've learned, that's not the case. Actually, it's the opposite. That contentment is born from something on the inside, not something on the outside. And that a state of being for a person that's at rest, content to think well, if I focus on that and how Christ generates that inside of me, then it really doesn't matter about my circumstances. Because about 99% of them, I can't change anyways. So this idea of learning this secret that Paul describes, the more one allows God to form that nature inside, that work is independent of our circumstances. And yet there's something inside of us that will push against that as long as we're breathing. Because we think that it's an external thing. That if all the circumstances line up, then somehow it's going to make sure all, all the things line up on the inside. It's not just Paul who, who taught this. Thomas Merton um, was a was a was a monk in, in the last century and, and and lived in the first part of the middle first to the middle part of the last century and 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 for the longest time he thought that it was the external circumstances that determined the state of being of a person and and he and he chased after that for a while and then God began to work inside of him and 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 created this sense of peace inside of his soul and and so it changed his life and so the rest of his life was about teaching what God had done inside of him. He said, you don't have to chase all these things on the outside. Merton said, one who is content with what they have and who accepts the fact that they inevitably will miss very much in life. That person is far better off than the one that has much more but who worries about all that they may be missing. For we cannot make the best of what we are if our hearts are always divided between what we are and what we are not. We cannot be happy, I would insert the word content, if we expect to live all the time at the highest peak of intensity. Happiness is not a matter of intensity, but a balance, an order, a rhythm. 
And so let us learn to pass from one imperfect activity to another without worrying too much about what we are missing. Later on, he would write that we think that this outside worldly success, this outside uh, circumstances, we think the logic of that, it's, it's really a fallacy. So the strange error that our, our perfection uh, depends on the thought and the opinions and the applause of somebody else. A weird life it is, indeed, to live always in somebody else's imagination, as if that were the only place in which one could at last become real. I would add, real with Christ. There is a better way to contentment. A New Testament way, where the work of God's Spirit seeks to form Christ inside of the heart of the person. And from that inside nature, then becomes an outside life. It's just not the other way around. St. Augustine, fourth century bishop, North African. Says, oh God, you have, you, you have created us for yourself. And that we're going to be in a perpetual state of unrest. And to our heart, it finds rest in thee. As my nature is being renewed, which means Christ, me working together, my being changes, my identity changes, my state changes changes, and it becomes the source of contentment. And the expression of that contentment is what we call gratitude. So what's the next steps? How is it that we, what do we do to take the Scripture lesson and then with the hope that God would work inside of us the same way that he worked inside of Paul, and what Paul was, was, was mirroring to the Philippians. How might that begin? Well, I think first is a prayer. Lord, show me the ways where my circumstances determine my contentment as a person, as a parent, as a friend, I mean, answer, complete the sentence, I will be happy if. That's very revealing. I will be happy as a person. I will be happy as a parent. I will be happy as a friend. If. If what? What that does is reveal where we are at that moment. And then, I would suggest embrace the Colossians 3.10 passage. Lord, I know where I am at this moment, so help me to, to take off that and then put on something that leads to renewal. That's Colossians 3.10. And the way we engage that, the way we embrace that, has everything to do with what we call spiritual disciplines. 
Because it's in spiritual disciplines that, that God leverages that with His Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit and, and the person working together for that level of change. So, 30 days. What would you embrace? Daily prayer? Where you took 10 minutes of your day. That's it. You might pray more than 10 minutes, but for at least 10 minutes of the day, you're going to focus in on Colossians 3.10. Lord, I know where I am today. This is not where I want to be forever. So for 10 minutes, that's what I'm going to focus on. Would you do that? What about worship? That's a discipline. I mean, it could be corporate worship. That's only once a week. What if you took 10 minutes a day to have a daily worship? Just by yourself. The book of Psalms, that's a worship book. Where a person, an individual, is worshiping God. What if you just took one psalm a day and said, Lord, this is my hymn. This is my praise. What about study? Personal devotion? See, at some point, that has to be a priority. Everybody in this room has learned the understanding, or at least what we think is, that outside circumstances determine an inward state of contentment. How many of you are content today? So maybe there's a better way. A New Testament way. That doesn't start with the things on the outside but it has everything to do with what's on the inside. We could take out the Philippians and insert ourselves in the text. What you've heard, seen, witnessed in me, George agrees, put into practice. That's the gospel lesson. Contentment is not tied to something on the outside. It's born here on the inside. Oh God, what we pray, and we pray this as a, as a body, a corporate prayer. At the same time, it's an individual prayer. I know it's my prayer. Continual, continually teach me this inward state of being that is fostered by your Spirit. And even if I learn that from the smallest of degree daily, then that's my prayer. And I know there are others who are praying with me. And we pray this in your name. Amen.